Welcome to Miraval Life in Balance, bringing you mindful tips and insight into supporting your mental well-being and living your most balanced life. Listen to the sounds of the birds. As you hear these beautiful creatures sing, it's time to clear your mind and focus on the present. Take a moment to center your breath. Breathe in and out, in and out. Don't speed up or slow down, just focus on your breathing. Welcome to Miraval Life in Balance. Brought to you by Miraval Resorts and Spas. I'm your host, Lauren Scruggs Kennedy. Today, we'll be stepping into the topic of self-care, specifically how it relates to men's health. I am pleased to be joined by Miraval Resorts thought leader and author, Dr. Gregory Scott Brown. Dr. Brown will shed some light on how to encourage the men in our lives to prioritize their mental health, how the approach to men's self-care has shifted over time, and why there are still some barriers to overcome. Welcome, Dr. Brown. It's so good to meet you and connect with you. And I first want you to start out by telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got involved with Miraval Resorts and Spas. Thank you, Lauren, for having me. It's so good to be here. So I'm a psychiatrist based in Texas, and I've had a relationship now with Miraval for the past few years. I had an opportunity to go out to the resort and Austin, and it's just a, it's a great uh, wellness space. I always feel uh, relaxed and recharged when I'm able to visit out there, and I look forward to continuing this relationship. I know self-care is so important to you, and it's one of the main things that you love to talk about in your messaging, and tell us why it's so important. Well, I mean, self-care is evidence-based medicine, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about it. I think everyone can acknowledge that self-care feels good in the moment, but we don't necessarily recognize that when it comes to mental illnesses like major depression or generalized anxiety disorder or PTSD, there is a role of self-care in helping people overcome these illnesses that millions, tens of millions of Americans struggle from every single year. And self-care, again, while it's something that we definitely champion at Miraval. I think part of the beauty of the Miraval experience is learn self-care techniques you can actually take with you back at home, back to your real life, whether that's learning how to incorporate yoga or meditation or breath work or mindfulness. These techniques can definitely help. It's so true. And I I feel like I've had to learn this. Like I used to think self-care was selfish. And then I'm a mom of a little one-year-old and married, and I remember recently I went somewhere by myself, totally escaped for a day and a half just to care for myself because I was just feeling really overwhelmed. There's a lot of work and family and just so much stuff happening, and I felt like a new person after a day and a half, and I was like, wait, I need to like incorporate this often into my life because it makes me just a better person for anyone around me. And so I feel like it's had to take some reprogramming, at least for me, to realize that. And I think for a lot of people just in our culture, I love how you talk a lot and encourage men in particular because 
I feel like they can struggle the most with incorporating that in their daily routines. Tell us more about that and what got you to wanting to do that. I'll tell you. I mean, I think that's a good way to tie in. My very first experience with Miraval was, I want to say it was in 2019. I was actually sitting on a panel at South by Southwest that Miraval was hosting on men in the state of self-care. And that's where I had the opportunity to meet Aubrey Marcus and Ben Court, who's the executive editor at Men's Health Magazine. And I'll tell you that at that talk, there were so many questions from men just wondering, what is anxiety? How can I learn to be productive while still taking time to recharge? Because I think as men, we put so much pressure on ourselves to just go, men and women both, but especially men, to just go, 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 go all the time. And I think sometimes peeling away and taking time to relax can be difficult for us. But I'll just add one of the reasons why it's so important for men, if you just look at the statistics, Lauren, so women are diagnosed with depression about twice as often as men are. Yet men tend to die by suicide about three to four times the rate of women. A part of that reason, I believe, is because men aren't talking about it as much. Men are burned out. They don't feel comfortable opening up about it, and they're suffering in in silence. So self-care, taking time to recharge is important for men and women, but I think it's something that we really need to communicate to guys out there. I remember growing up, and I feel like our guy friends would just never really talk about much, and girls are always just like talking about everything going on in their lives. (laughs) Recently, all of my friends and my husband, everyone's just really talking about the depths of their life and like their struggles. And I'm like, this is so cool that it's starting. I totally agree with me. I could talk about this all day because I think it's so beautiful what we're seeing right now. I mean, even a few years ago, I think it wasn't cool to talk about mental health. And, And now it is. I mean, you have athletes and celebrities and public figures coming out from all walks of life, sharing their stories about how taking time to meditate or breathe or practice yoga or go to therapy has just totally changed their life. So I'm I'm glad to be part of this movement. That's so cool. And so I met this person a little while ago, like in the last year, and he was a part of the army, had like severe PTSD, severe anxiety, tried every kind of therapy, everything. And then he really just started learning meditation. It just kind of entered into his life in a way he didn't expect. And that's basically saved his life. I just loved hearing that story because I don't feel like I understood meditation until having a little class with him and just learning from other people around me. And I I feel like I was always, I mean, I love therapies and I was in a crazy accident. So I've done a lot of deep counseling since then. And I'm so into that stuff. I didn't know how to incorporate it into my life. So it was just so incredible learning the impact it can have and how to do it. I feel like I would walk into it like, okay, I want this and this and this from it. But learning like, actually don't expect everything, but learn how to just be present and how that can help you be present just in your day-to-day life. And it is all like incorporate, it all goes into every part of your life, like those therapies. You know what I mean? Yes. And I think one of the things that, especially when people are just beginning meditation or they haven't tried it before, I think a lot of people can feel intimidated by it. It's like, there's a certain way I have to meditate. And if I don't get it right, then I'm failing at meditating. 
And the important thing to appreciate here is meditation is just about conscious awareness. It's about sitting in stillness. It's about focusing on your breath. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. And even if the first time you try, you feel like your thoughts are still racing and you're having a hard time really plugging into it, it, it is something that gets better and easier with more practice. I love that so much. And it's so true, kind of what you're saying. It's so easy to get into the grind and the go, go, go mentality and being hard on ourselves and and sitting in silence and resting can actually be very difficult when you start out because you're like, wait, I feel like I need to look at my phone. I need the stimulation. You're so used to the constant activity that your mind and brain are experiencing. And so it's a struggle, <laughs> you know, it can be. I'll tell you this. So one of my very first experiences with meditation, I was in residency and I was invited to yoga nidra class at one of the local yoga studios. And I just gotten off of work. I had about 15 minutes to get from work to this class or I was going to be late. I think I was on call that day. So I had my pager on me <laughs> and I went into this, this studio with my pager Got in there about two minutes late, had my mat down. And I remember, again, this is my first, one of my first experiences of meditation. I had such a hard time turning my brain off. So sitting there, laying there on that mat was kind of like torture for me. One eye open, I'm like looking at my pagers, see if I missed any calls. I'm thinking about all the work that I have to do that night. So I get it. I get that meditation can be difficult if you're first getting started. But one of the things just to keep in mind is that, again, the more you practice it, even if you're not able to get through an entire hour the first time, just take it five minutes. At the end of this, we're going to do 60 seconds of, of breath work. And you might find that that's something that every day you start to crave and you're able to extend the amount of time that you're doing it. Yeah, just to start with small steps. And one of our friends actually, he was like, man, I never thought I'd be the one that would incorporate meditation because his life is like fast. And he was like, this has changed my life forever. His really good friend introduced him to it. And so it's just so amazing. I think that's an encouragement to everybody because we all just operate pretty quickly in our culture. We all kind of are in that same space and you really do learn it over time. It's really cool to train your brain or just get it used to being still. And even when you're out and about, I feel like it helps you just be present everywhere you go, which is also really hard, but it's something to learn and just so valuable. And it allows us, I think, to be more efficient with our time. If we're spending several hours a day just feeling scattered, feeling distracted, feeling anxious, and trying to get our stuff done, if we're able to kind of use less of that time and really key in on what we're doing because we're consciously aware of the moment, that's where meditation can, can really help. And there's science uh, behind it to back it up. So do you see self-care as a generational shift? For instance, are millennials and Gen Z more interested in self-care than older generations are? I haven't come across any hard statistics about that. I wouldn't be surprised if the statistics do support that. But anecdotally, what I'm hearing and experiencing, I think, from millennials and Gen Zers is absolutely. I mean, they are. Again, like I said, I think that mental health, mindfulness, meditation, yoga right now are really cool. I mean, everyone wants to talk about it, everyone wants to do it. Now, I have had some people say, oh, this is just a repeat from what we saw back in the 70s, which, which again, may, may be the case, right? But again, I'm just so inspired 
by what I'm seeing right now in this generation of people who are interested in mindfulness and, and mental health. Yeah. And what do you think made that shift? Because I feel like it really did happen like suddenly. What do you think caused that or influenced that? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you have people who have influence who are actually sharing their stories. You have athletes like Kevin Love who talked about having a panic attack in the middle of a basketball game. I work with Men's Health and I co-host an Instagram live series called Friday Sessions with Dr. Drew Ramsey. And every week we are having candid conversation with a public figure about mental health and people are speaking openly about it now. And so I think that in this day and age, if people can see, hey, you know, this person with millions of followers, this basketball player who's you know, six foot 11 and the epitome of masculinity can talk about having a panic attack and show vulnerability in that way, then, then I could do it too. You know, when you're vulnerable with someone, I feel like it opens up just a safe place for them to be vulnerable back to you, even if they're not interested in being that way, kind of when they enter into the conversation. And I feel like it's like that. It's like when vulnerability is shown, I feel like people just feel safer to do that and they don't feel alone in their journey. This really masculine man actually doesn't look weak doing this. There's almost like this strength that comes out of him when he is open and real. And I think that's also why people like Brene Brown have been so impactful. When you hear the word vulnerability, when I hear the word vulnerability, I think of I Brene. do too. She has been so open with sharing about her life and sharing about her own story, right? And so, again, if she's able to do that, I think it encourages us that we can do it as well. That's so true. And just the idea of shame. I've been learning so much about shame cycles. And like when you're in that shame cycle, it's hard for you to recognize your own shame. And you're kind of like stuck in this cycle. And just to really learn how to get out of shame and even admitting you're wrong almost when you want to just show you're strong and great and all this stuff and be identified as this person you hope to be seen as. It's like, I feel like it's not about that anymore. Like people just want to see the real you. And when someone's like, man, I really screwed up here. I feel like it just lets down every wall with the people around you and just creates such healthy relationships and conversations. But it also takes that step of being like, I want to break through this. And that comment that you just made, that may have not been something that we would be willing to openly share on a podcast, say five or 10 years ago. And now we can just talk about it openly. And I can say amen to that. I totally agree with you. Another issue is showing emotions, showing that we're all human, men, women, boys, girls. I mean, we all cry. We all are, I mean, we all are human beings. So just being able to be in touch with shame, being able to be in touch with vulnerability, with the humanity of ourselves, I think is an important shift that we're seeing. Yeah, that's so cool. So on the men's health, live chat that you do, what do you think is the most common topic that is brought up with men in particular? Something I'm hearing a lot of that I'm encouraged by is men's openness and willingness to share their experience going to therapy. I'll say that, again, I'm a therapist. I can tell you that it's still something, even though we're seeing the shift that a lot of people will experience shame around it, especially men. They'll kind of quietly do it, but, and they'll benefit from it. But then going on a channel that has 1.7 million followers and 
actually talking about their experience with it, knowing that an article is going to be written up and shared broadly, and they're not necessarily getting anything out of it uh, other than to just share their story and know that their story might then positively impact someone else who's on the fence about going to therapy. So it's it's a beautiful thing to see. It's interesting just with the men I love so much in my life around me and my family, you can see the generational difference of the fight against it almost because it's like in their brain of like, whether it's like scary to face your life, your hurt, your trauma, there's just, I feel like there's such a hesitation. And even when you start therapy, and I'm saying this as someone who is a therapist, and I've also been to therapy. I mean, I just finished a route of six months of therapy. I had a great therapist. Therapy is hard. It's not an easy experience. And that's something that I think is important for listeners to appreciate. I mean, it's a life-changing experience. It's a wonderful experience. But when you're talking about your emotions, when you're talking about your childhood, when you're working with a mental health professional to really figure yourself out, figure out what makes you tick, why you think the way you think, why you love the way you love, why you behave the way you behave. Sometimes that takes work and it can be an emotional experience. I think anytime we're changing for the better, it can be painful at times. So I would just encourage people who are doing it to, to stick with it, give it some time and you may notice that your life changes for the better. My husband and I have talked about this a lot too because it, it's so easy when you're wanting to start therapy to be like, wait, now's not a really good time. It's really busy. I have a new baby. Like it might just be anything. It's just never a good time. Just jump in and give it your all. And even it's helpful to tell people around you that you're doing it, which can also feel vulnerable, but just for support, emotional support, or this might be a tough day for me because a lot of emotions are coming out or something where they understand kind of where you're at, which I think is cool to be open about. Yeah, because when we don't share those emotions, what we do, we're holding on to it. And when we hold on to it, I mean, that can present in so many different ways, right? And cause us to feel anxious or depressed or burned out. And that can start to interfere with our relationships and our professional life uh, as well. It's so true. And my husband heard something on a podcast, I think with Matthew McConaughey saying, he was like, something really hit me that he said. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is it? And he was like, it's just that so how are you talking to yourself? Like you can't get rid of yourself. You can't get away from yourself. How are we talking to ourselves? And I thought that was such a cool piece of wisdom is just, I feel like the focus can always be with other people and all this stuff, but like truly the way we talk to ourselves can impact your day to day. And have you experienced any of that conversation with men? Absolutely. Positive self-talk we know is part of the school of positive psychology, right? Being able to focus on the good things in our life, focus on being able to experience gratitude. I'll tell you some studies have shown that just keeping a gratitude journal, like starting off every day by writing down three things that we're grateful for can actually uh, improve heart rate variability, which we know is a physiological marker of stress, right? So both physical and emotional stress. So absolutely. So recently you published your new book, the self-healing mind that focuses on five steps for self-care and mental well-being. What are some quick tips you can provide that our listeners can use while creating space to take time for themselves? Right. So a lot of what is championed at Mirabal is actually in my book. So the five pillars of self-care are sleep, spirituality, nutrition, breath work, and movement. 
And so oftentimes we're feeling burned out, we're feeling anxious, we're feeling depressed. Sometimes it's as simple as focusing on sleep or quote unquote sleep hygiene. Is the room cold enough at night? So studies have shown the ideal room temperature is between 65 and 70 degrees, which sounds kind of cool, but we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to improve our sleep quality. Yoga Nidra is an evidence-based practice for helping improve sleep. As little as 10 minutes a day of Yoga Nidra over a period of time can improve sleep as well. We're talking about spirituality, Lauren. I mean, it doesn't have to be religion. I think most people... The first thing they think about is religion when they think of spirituality. Now, religion, if you are religious, does have benefits. But if you're not religious, something as simple as meditating, really being aware of that inner connection can help as well, spending time in nature. Nutrition, there's tons of evidence showing that if we pay attention to the food that we're putting in our body, leafy greens, nuts, seeds, fermented foods can have a beneficial effect on our mental health. Breath work is probably one of the most underutilized tools in medicine. Each of us takes between 20 and 30,000 breaths per day, but something as simple as a deep breath can flood the brain with GABA, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. It slows everything down. And alpha waves, I mean, it's another marker of rest relaxation. And then finally, moving our body. So studies have shown that incorporating at least 30 minutes of movement every day can increase expression of a protein called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor that allows our nerve cells to communicate with each other better, that allows an increase in chemicals like serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, which are important for keeping us healthy and happy. Wow, that is so incredible. These things are literally free and they're available in your body and obviously eating healthy food. You can find ways to really incorporate that into your budget or your lifestyle and just making it simple. And I think behind everything, kind of like we were saying at the beginning, is just the pressure I think we put on ourselves. We need tomorrow, if we're going to start this, we need to be eating so clean, no sugar. It's like, start slow and celebrate the victories. Even with movement, if that's tough for you, try like five minutes a day of just walking down the street. But even just stretching in your chair, I mean, start where you can. One of the most common questions I get when I talk about the five pillars of self-care is, do I have to do all of this at once? I mean, this, this seems overwhelming too. And so what I, what I would recommend people do is, you know, maybe you're reading the book or there's one pillar that really resonates with you, maybe breath work. How can I spend 60 seconds of my day and just focus on breath? And then maybe the next day you want to focus on nutrition. And then you notice that in time, you're starting to live a lifestyle that's more conducive to optimizing your mental health. That's so cool. And I I love the word lifestyle because I feel like it's so easy to want to jump on these fad diets or just temporary things for a result, but really seeing a change in your full lifestyle and seeing the benefits for your mental health and for your energy and so many things is just so impactful to where it just becomes like a part of who you are rather than this like stringent rule book. How did you become passionate about this? So I'll tell you, I mean, there's a personal story behind it. When I was in my early 20s, I struggled with depression. I had a hard time really feeling comfortable connecting with a psychiatrist or a therapist. I had a hard time feeling comfortable discussing what I was going through with my friends and even some of my closest 
family members. So I would say that there's definitely that piece that got me interested in mental health. But I'll tell you, when I was training to become a psychiatrist, I just noticed that my patients, they were asking about lifestyle interventions. A lot of them wanted to learn how to live in a way that was conducive to supporting their mental health. And a lot of people were interested in how they could eat better, how they could move more mindfully, or how they could tap into a spiritual practice so that their medications they were on could either work better or that maybe they wouldn't need to take a medication one day if it was mild depression or anxiety. So I'd say it's a combination of my personal story and what my patients were asking me for. Mirabal Resorts and Spas, for instance, I feel like is such an amazing place. I was just there with my sister and then I went with my husband like several years ago, but just, but it really does like help sometimes if you feel like you're having a hard time, like breaking through that wall to go somewhere that teaches that mindset and that lifestyle to, and to be around people that are like learning as well, to just really kind of get yourself into that mental space and to come out of it, taking like Miraval benefits and Miraval lifestyle into your own life, which I think is so cool. And on that note, can you share some of the experiences you've had at Miraval Resorts that you have found helpful for your own self-care and mental well-being? The spa, first of all, I think is is top-notch. It is probably my favorite part of Miraval, being able to to go in there and chill a bit. But I would just say that the entire experience, I, I mean, this is something that may not seem huge, but I love the fact that the cell phones in certain areas are not encouraged. I think it can be really difficult to unplug from our cell phones. Being in nature, I think, is just something else that's really uh, refreshing about Miravong. They have a great yoga studio. Dining hall is really nice. So again, every time I visit Miraval, I just feel recharged. I feel refreshed and, you know, I feel better equipped to, to get back into my life. When my sister and I went, we we're like, it's amazing to look around a whole dining hall and you don't see anyone on their phones and you're like confused. <laughs> but you're like, this is like the best thing because it's so rare to see. But it's like, wow, I guess I, I think it's a reminder of like how much we don't actually need our phones as much as we think near us. I was just like learning a new method of living or just trying slowly to detach, even though obviously our phones can be so great in a lot of ways in, in connecting and working and whatever we need. But just learning how to have that balance in your life, I think is huge. I think it has the effect too of, I don't know what your experience has been, but it makes, it slows time down a bit. So you're off your phone and it's like a day feels like two days, right? It's so, I think it's, it's, it's great just to slow everything down, not only our mind, but the perception of time uh, as well. Yes. And it used to just be like, we're all on our phones and we're not really even around each other. But now I feel like so many of our friends just put our phones away and we're just interacting in a real way and kind of almost getting back to how it was in certain ways. And people really are craving that. Don't you feel that way? I agree with you. And I think that's where Miraval can help kind of show people what that's like, what it feels like. Because I think if you haven't felt that before, it can be hard to just say, okay, we're all just going to put our, our phones away now. Um, but if you know what it feels like, you've been there, you've had that experience, and it's, it's, it's a little bit easier to do that. Yeah, that's so true. Tying into the previous question, on this show, we have a segment we like to call the Miraval moment, which is where our guest shares a memory from their time at Miraval that was most impactful to them. Maybe an aha moment where something clicked or you learned something new about yourself 
What do you think would be your Miraval moment? And what made it so impactful or memorable for you? I was at Miraval, I think, last year. And I was doing the What We're Reading series for, for my book. And I had an encounter in the spa with a businessman who ran into me. And we started having a conversation about happiness, what it means to be happy. And something that I'd never spent that much time thinking about before. Ironically, as a psychiatrist, we spent a lot of time training to learn how to treat depression, anxiety, PTSD, ADHD. They don't necessarily teach, like, what does it mean to be happy? And I just thought it was interesting that at Miraval, no cell phones, no distractions. You have these two guys having a really good conversation about happiness. And I think that was that was a beautiful moment that that has remained with me since. What did you kind of do? You remember kind of the main thing you concluded, or how you defined happiness? I think we get a lot of things wrong about happiness. I think that's what I've concluded over the past year or so. The first thing is that money is not something that that buys happiness. Obviously, I think that you know so many of us spend time chasing this perpetual state of happiness, like the way we felt the day we got married or the day we, you know, had our first kid. And happiness is something that that comes and goes, right? So we'll experience these normal moments of happiness and sadness in our life. So I think that, again, one of the things that I learned in my yoga practice, there's a term called samtosha, which means contentment. And so if we're able to really shift our mindset from chasing this perpetual state of happiness and rather shift to contentment, right? Being able to appreciate the highs and lows in our life for what they are, I think that puts us in a much, a much better place. I love that. That's so wise. Contentment is huge. And it, again, I feel like it's something you really learn over time on how to develop that or learn what that means. Okay. So now it's time for our segment called Bring Miraval Home, where we share a tip on how to bring Miraval experiences back with you into your everyday life. What are some of the mindfulness practices and tools that you have cultivated from Miraval that you use in your everyday life? I think that that's, that's a no-brainer. I mean, yoga for me, I'm a yogi. Yoga is something that's championed at Miraval. If you've never tried yoga before and Miraval is your first experience with yoga, I can't guarantee anything, but I imagine that that's something that you'd want to take back into your everyday life. Yoga has so many benefits to both physical and mental health that I encourage anyone who hasn't tried it to, to try it. Before we wrap up the interview, do you have any final thoughts you want to share either about your Miraval experiences or mental health? I think most of us at this point are thinking about mental health. We're not talking about it enough. I am very encouraged by the fact that you have organizations like Men's Health Magazine, like Miraval Resorts, that are encouraging conversations about self-care. With this podcast, they're encouraging conversations about mental health. And so, you know, even though it's something that most of us are thinking about, I'd encourage people listening to this to start talking about it more because you never know who's listening and that conversation might improve someone's life and may even save it. That's so good. I love that. And before we go, Dr. Brown, do you want to do a brief mindfulness exercise? Sure. 
This is one of my favorite breathwork exercises. I talk about several different types of breathing in my book, The Self-Healing Mind, but this is something called 478 breathing, all right? And so, have you done 478 breathing, Lauren? I think I've just done 445. This is a different set of numbers here. So, what we're gonna do is, so, uh, put your feet flat on the ground, and sit up with a straight back, and then take the palms of your hands, place them on your knees, and I'm gonna close my eyes. I invite you to do the same as we draw our attention to our breath. I want you to just allow your shoulders to gently fall down your back. And now take a deep inhale, count to four. Hold count to seven. Long cleansing exhale through your nose, count to eight. Deep inhale, count to four. And as you inhale, feel your belly expand. Hold, count to seven. Slow cleansing exhale count to eight. We'll just go through two more of these. Inhale count to four. Hold count to seven. Exhale, count to eight. Inhale, count to four. Seven. Exhale, count to eight. Gently blink your eyes open. And so when I'm doing this uh, with my patients or I'm doing it alone, uh, I'll ask uh, two questions. I'll go ahead and ask you, so how does your body feel right now? What are you noticing in your body? It feels just so relaxed and slow. <laughs> slow, that's great, that's mm -hmm. great. And then what about your mind? It feels kind of like empty. Or just like cleared out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a great way, again, to just spend a minute or two just centering your breath, being able to slow down your, your mind, slow down your body. This is great, I think, before a, a business meeting or before a difficult conversation, just to kind of find that, find that clarity. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for being on. It's the best conversation. Thank you for having me. This is great. And that is all the time we have today. And I want to say a big thank you to Miraval Resorts thought leader, Dr. Gregory Scott Brown, for joining us in discussing the important topic of self-care and mental health. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review so more people can listen in. 
Until next time, I'm Lauren Kennedy, and this has been Miraval Life and Balance, brought to you by Miraval Resorts and Spas.